one of the great promises of science of mind is that indeed by following a few spiritual principles, as simple as can be, as Reverend Sharon would say, <laughs> incidental almost in its easiness, that we can experience complete freedom. So every year in January, we like to start off um, the year by kind of recapping the science of mind and the basic principles within the science of mind. And we use the first four chapters of this book. And uh, so far, let, let me do the, one of those whirlwind uh, uh, sort of things like when you watch the thorn birds in episode number nine, they catch you up, you know, in 15 seconds what you missed. <laughs> so, so the first week we talked about God, all wise, all powerful, ever present, you know, the, the majesty that is the universe in its scope of infinity is God. Last week we talked about, well, if the universe, if God, if Allah is everywhere present, then of course God is also <coughs> right here. And God is also, that spark of life is also individualized right in every person in this room. The inescapable conclusion is that the same power that is God part of that power is mine. The same joy that is God, part of that joy is mine. The, the love and the laughter, the peace, the abundance, everything that God is, also are we. Perhaps not in the same degree, right? And from day to day, it may not necessarily feel that way, but the concept holds true nonetheless, 24 by 7, that spark of life that is in God is in us. Now today we're talking about something a little different, and we kind of led into it a bit last week. The talk title for today, which is the title of the third chapter of this book, is What It Does. And you know, I can summarize what it does in two sentences, and then we can be off to a grand luncheon. <laughs> but I suspect we may need to talk about it just a little more. But here's the summarization. What it does is that it responds to our thoughts, and it responds to our feelings. It's as simple as that. Last week we talked a little bit about the thought part of it. And we are a co-creator of our own experience on this planet based on our beliefs, on our thinking, on our thought patterns, based on our ideas. And if you remember from last week, that was the good news and the bad news, right? The good news is when I have thoughts of joy, I'm going to experience joy in my life. When I have thoughts of abundance and robust good health, well, you know, the world is my oyster. But if I'm having thoughts of despair and hope, hopelessness, if I'm having thoughts of lack and misery, I got to tell you, God responds just as well to those thoughts. There's this little thing that we talked about last week called free will. And the greatest gift that we have been given, this idea of free will, also is what binds us. If we are having thoughts of, of congestion, if we are having thoughts of being um, trapped in an unworkable job or an unworkable situation, these very thoughts that set us free also bind us. That's the bad news. Now, where we left off last week, I think, is really to the point of looking at God, if you will, in a kind of a mechanical way, a little bit, a little bit, by saying that when we have beliefs, when we have closely held thoughts, when the temper of our mind follows along a certain path, then God inevitably responds in kind. That's where we ended last week, that our thoughts are powerful, our beliefs literally come true, manifest, give evidence of themselves out in the world. And that leads me right up 
to a Sunday joke. <laughs> a little girl dressed in her Sunday best was running as fast as she could, trying not to be late for Bible class. And as she ran, she was muttering to herself, late, 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 I'm always late. Dear Lord, she prayed, please don't let me be late. Lord, please don't let me be late. And as she was running and praying, of course, not paying any attention to where she was going, she accidentally slipped and fell, getting her clothes dirty, really making herself quite late for church. But as she got up, she brushed herself off again and started to run again. Always late, she said. Dear Lord, please don't let me be late, but please don't shove me either. (laughs) You know, it's a cute joke, and yet I think it's a wonderful illustration because, of course, what was God going to do? God had no choice but to shove, right? Late, 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 I'm always late. I'm never going to be on there on time. Dear Lord, late, late. I mean, what was the active word here? And so if we believe what we believe and our beliefs manifest out in the world, I mean, now maybe God could have found something other than the shove, I don't know. But if she was going to be late, that was a great way to ensure that she would be late. How many times are we the victims of our own thoughts, if you will? I know that quite often, and I'm going to give you some great examples in a little bit, I'm the absolute victim of my own thoughts. But before we go there, so I said there were two things that respond to God, or that God responds to. One is our thoughts, and one of our, is our emotions. And the, the emotional one, I, I liken it to the idea of a map. If our ideas, if our thoughts, if our beliefs are the map of where we want to go, we're still missing something, right? We're still missing the vehicle, if you will, for getting there. So if all we have is a map, we can open it up and we can go, oh yeah, well, I'm going to drive down you know, Martin Luther Jr. Boulevard and then we're going to make a left turn on Rosa Parks and then we'll get to the freeway and before too long we're on 217 and then we're going to make the turn. Do you know what I mean? But imagining it in my head is one thing and actually getting there is something else. I better be planning on a car or, or taking the train or a bus or something, right? Well, that is where the emotions come into play. Because when we simply have idle thoughts, nothing much happens. If we don't have acceptance in our heart, if we don't have some passion around it, if we don't have this sense of, yes, this is mine and I'm grateful for it, nothing much is going to happen. That's in the realm of the sort of wishful thinking. Have you ever had sort of just wishful, hopeful thoughts, right? But yet in your heart, don't you know that how unlikely they are? And that's, I think, why they're wishful, hopeful. It's things like, yeah, someday I would love to have a Mercedes. Yeah, someday I would love to you know, go on vacation in the Caribbean. And when I say things like that with no plan around it, no particular gumption with it, isn't gumption a lovely word? <laughs> if there's no passion, no emotion around it, no stick to nothing in me that says, yeah, by the way, I'm going to order tickets and figure out how to pay for it. Well, then these are what I call idle thoughts, the wishful, hopeful thoughts. And God pretty much just lets them go by with all the other weird, random, totally assorted thoughts that I have every day. It's when I have a belief and a thought pattern 
and an intention that I stick to, that I have some passion around, that that emotional content of acceptance and bringing it right into my life, just as immediate as a fine meal or something like that. Do you know what I mean? That sort of visceral sense of, yes, this is to be in my life. When we have that emotional content, that is when God powerfully, powerfully says yes. So it is that combination. It isn't just the thought, and it isn't just the emotion. And if you think about it, that little girl probably had both, right? Because she was pretty anxious. She was pretty anxious about being late. So she had the emotion. And what was her thought? It was late, 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 late. I'm always late. It's like, what a powerful statement of, yeah, that little girl is going to be late, and probably next week too. All right. Now, talking about powerful thoughts, I assigned you a bit of homework last week. And for those of you who weren't here, don't, don't freak out. Um, homework isn't necessary, but it is helpful. Last week I said, I would like you to find an area in your life where things aren't working 100%, where there's a, a little room for improvement, if you will. And I said, just think about that situation and write down specifically your thoughts about it. And so, of course, I take my own medicine, and here's where I promised you're going to probably find out way too much about me. Uh, but here's my list. But first, I guess the setup. So my partner and I moved into a gorgeous new house last year. It really is lovely. Uh, and the houses we gave up were pretty nice as well. And one of the things that the new house doesn't have is a yard. And I mean, really, it doesn't have one. It's mud. It was like the developer came in, bulldozed everything down, built up a beautiful new house, which we're in love with, and, oh, by the way, it's just mud. And we both came from houses that had lovely yards. Daniel's house had a fish pond and lawn. My house had some, like, English-style gardens that were 20 years old. Brick patio. I mean, it was lovely. And now we have mud. And so this has been bugging me for about a year. And of course, our realtor does what all, I think, good realtors do. She said, you have X amount of money to spend. You put it into getting the very nice house in the very best neighborhood you can, and we'll figure out the yard later. So unfortunately, <laughs> we spent exactly all the money we had on the beautiful house. And so that's why this is bugging me. It's been like a year now. Last year, we had this beautiful summer, and, and you know we scraped together a little money and planted a few things but it's still basically a mud heap and it's bugging me. So what are my beliefs around this? There's never quite enough to do what I want. Money is tight. It's a tight economy, tight job market. We're in a recession after all, Larry. You can't have everything that you want right away, right? I think we got that from the realtor. <laughs> Oh, and this next one particularly bugs me because uh, it's where, I, and I think maybe this is kind of a traditional uh, kind of men's thing, but, but see if you women resonate with it too. If I work harder or longer, I can make enough more money to put the yard in. Is that, is that everybody or just a guy? Okay, okay, all right. Uh, the next one, of course, I get from the newspaper, but still, it's moving around in my head. Americans are having to make do with less. You have to give up some things to get other things. You know, Of course, to get this lovely new house, we had to give up something. 
And then this next one, too, when the yard is done, I'll be happier. That one just pops in my head, you know, because it's annoying me, especially when the dogs come in through the dog door, and then suddenly the mud is not only just out in the yard, but in evidence for everybody. And then finally, I had to get some sort of visceral self-guilt in here. If only I weren't so busy and tired, I'd do the work myself. You know, laden out a little guilt, too, right? All right. Now, I got to tell you, I'm the little girl on my way to Sunday school, and these are my thoughts. Is there any wonder that I have a mud hole for a yard? (laughs) I mean, think about it, really. This is like a prayer. Now, I have to say, working in my favor, these have been fairly subconscious thoughts. I don't, uh, you know, on purpose, in a conscious way, go out into the yard and say, it's always going to be like this. <laughs> I mean, you know, to my, to my benefit, a lot of this is unconscious, but I got to tell you, the unconscious thoughts that are running through my head are very powerful. And if I believe these things with some degree of earnestness, that yard is going to be just as muddy now and in five years and in ten years. And in fact, that was one of the things I didn't write down. But one really common fear about any situation that isn't the way you like it to be is simply this is going to persist through all time. It's never going to get better. The relationship's never going to get better. The yard's never going to get better, right? The marriage isn't, the job isn't, whatever it is. One of our great fears that often goes through our head is, no matter what I do, this is what I get. It isn't going to get any better. All right. So those were the thoughts going around in my head. Not surprising to me. It was an aha, kind of an unpleasant aha, but it absolutely points out why the yard is a muddy mess. It's because my thoughts are a muddy mess. So how do we get beyond this? The second part of chapter 3 of this lovely book talks about prayer. And I guess it's not surprising here on a Sunday morning in a spiritual center that we might want to talk about prayer. It's one of the tools, one of the primary tools that in the science of mind we use for changing our thoughts. Because there's nothing that needs to happen here other than I have a different idea that I can accept into my own heart some order in my yard, some beauty in my yard. I can accept into my own life some abundance to pay for yard work and some energy to do some of the work myself. There is nothing holding me back except my own thoughts. And prayer, or affirmative prayer as we call it in Science of Mind, is one of the wonderful tools we can use. Now, Obviously, both Sharon and I teach literally eight and ten week classes on affirmative prayer. And so, what, I have like seven minutes left. (laughs) We're not going to do this justice. And so, in your programs, I have a little five-step treatment or affirmative prayer, so you can take it home and take a look at it. And on the back, I even have a sample one, so you can not only see like how you might write your own, but then on the back, a sample of one that is written for the idea of abundance. And so, we're not going to cover this in any great detail here today, But I do want to give you the underpinnings of it, because oftentimes people will come up to me and say, so, you know, what's so special about this? Everybody prays. Are you saying that God only listens to a prayer if it has five steps to it and formulated a certain... I mean, I thought thought last week you said God was omniscient, you know? Are you saying that, that, that God is deaf unless, you know, it looks exactly like this? And, uh, and what I will tell you is that Ernest Holmes developed this to try to help people's prayers be more effective. 
And he really used scripture around this. If you look through this book or some, uh, or some of other of Ernest Holmes' book, he actually used several references from the Bible that I think absolutely point out why it is exactly the way it is. And, and I uh, lifted one from, from this particular chapter from Mark 11. Have faith in God, Jesus announced. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It's in um, three of the Gospels, nearly word for word the same. It's written down in several other ways in the, the teachings of Jesus. And Ernest Holmes, you know, was a great and avid Bible reader. And his five-step treatment absolutely is poised, is designed so that when you follow those steps, you will have that heartfelt set of sense of acceptance that when you're done, rather than blowing it all away by saying, well, at least I hope so, (laughs) you'll have a sense when you release the prayer that, yes, this good is to be mine. I can accept it wholeheartedly. So I'm not going to spend too much more time working on treatment. Uh, It's a powerful, powerful tool. I always give you the uh, advice that if you want to really learn how to do this really well, seek out one of the licensed practitioners. It would be their honor to work through this little worksheet with you and and help you tailor some prayers for your own benefit. It's a powerful, powerful tool for making the own mental changes. And that's the only thing that needs to change. We're not changing God, right? God already is all-powerful. God already is all-wise. God already has the infinity of the universe to make its creation out of. The only thing we're changing in prayer is our own mind. And this is a very sensible, a, a very powerful tool to do that. All right. So after a little bit of meditating, after a little bit of thought around what my um, messy yard in my head was about, um, I changed some of these beliefs. And in fact, that's the source of our homework for this coming week, is simply to do what I have done here, and that is take your list of beliefs about your situation and turn them into beliefs about what you wish were true, what you're intending to be true about it. And so here are my beliefs. First of all, I got rid of the uh, this is happening out in the world, right? It's like let the world take care of itself. If America wants to be in a recession, good for America. I don't have to be in a recession. Do you know what I mean? If other people want to have their finances tight, God bless them. If other people want to be in a, in a miserable relationship, that's their right. That's that whole free will thing, but not me. So I made these all into I statements that can be true for me, even if other people are having a different experience of the world. So I wrote, I always have enough to do exactly what I want. Money is expansive in my life, right? Let the rest of Americans recess. I'll expand. <laughs> other people can be recessing. I always have what I want and need, 
And this next one I wrote to address that sort of guilt trip around myself from me thinking it either has to be money or, or me being very laborious out in the yard. Because what I know for me is that if I say, you know, the only way this is going to get done is if I really muscle down and get the shovel out. And, and even though I hate doing some of that digging work, that's what needs to be done. And as soon as I go to that place of, of labor and uh, kind of... Um, unwilling participation, what I know is it isn't going to happen in my life. Do you know what I mean? And so instead, I said, my good comes from God, and it's given freely. I don't need to know whether, you know, maybe a a neighbor child is going to come over and, and say, you know, I'd like to make 20 bucks. Can I help level your mud? At least it would be level mud, right? <laughs> I don't have to know how money is going to come my way. I don't have to know the actual source of this because my source is the infinite source. My source is the infinite wisdom. My source is God. And the other one, uh, now this one might not be at all obvious to you, but to me, when I wrote, when the yard is done, I'll be happier, I had to deal with that one, because that may or may not be true. You know, the human inventiveness of misery is nearly, nearly inexhaustible. And so I wrote simply, I'm happy now. And I got to tell you, you can probably even see it in my face, Right? I am happy now. And just even reaffirming that lets me know that, so what if the dogs come in with some mud on their paws? So what if it isn't the picture-perfect way that I want it to be right now? Who in the end cares? Just me. And I can choose to feel differently about it. So I wrote down, I am happy now. Yes, I absolutely know without question that the yard is going to be gorgeous, and I will claim it for me right here in the now. And in fact, I'll, I'll keep you posted because I would bet even in the next few months, there are going to be some changes on this because I have changed my thinking about it. But regardless of all that, I'm happy no matter what happens in my yard. And then last but not least, I put, I work in the yard as I have time and desire because that's about the truth of it. Of course I want to spend some time out in the yard. But if I let go of the idea of it being a drudge, if I let go of it being with the idea of some compunction or necessary part of it, then it's just a joy. And then I want to spend more time doing it. All right, so that is what I did. That's what I'm inviting you to do. As you look over your list of things, beliefs about what's going wrong in your life, let us turn them into a list of ideas and beliefs about how you choose to think differently. If you're faced with lack, let's write down some affirmations, some beliefs about abundance. If you're faced with a relationship that is not going well, let's write down some ideas and beliefs around love and the purity that can happen between two people who really love each other and are committed to one another. If your issue is one of a bad working environment, let's write down what the perfect working environment would be like and really own it. Really use a five-step prayer or some other form of anchoring it in our own minds in a powerful and positive way. Let us embrace the good. And what I know is that we can change. As we change our thinking, our life powerfully 
and meaningfully changes. I wanted to close with a quote from Ernest Holmes. Here's what he said about this idea of affirmative prayer. He calls it treatment. You know, the underpinnings of science of mind, many, many years ago, it sort of branched off from a school of thought similar to Christian science. Now, we don't believe everything that the people in Christian science believe, but this idea of making a treatment, of making, like approaching our own thoughts like we're a doctor and prescribing a treatment is where this idea came from. So Ernest Holmes says, a treatment is a statement in God's law of good. It embodies the concrete idea of our desires and is accompanied by an unqualified faith that the law works for us. Let us waste no further time looking for the secret of success or the key to happiness. Already the door is open and whosoever may enter. The more power, this is that oomph, right? This is that, yes, I can do it, I shall do it, it is mine. The more power one gives to his thought, the more completely he believes that his thought has power, the more power it will have. So let us pray. There is but one power in this universe, one ultimate source of the infinity of the universe, and this is God. And what I know about God is that it's limitless, that there is good for all, there is joy for all, there is abundance for all, there is peace for all, there is health for all. God is completely indiscriminate in spreading this wealth around. And as this is true in general, I know that it means me, I know that God's love is mine, I know that God's abundance is mine. I know that the peace and the joy and the happiness that is within God is also within me. I claim it. I unify myself with it. It is me. And as this is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person in their own heart's desire simply may dwell and accept and embody those ideas of what they choose to have, and it will be done unto them. That each person here has the full keys to the kingdom. That each person here has that ability to take ever more control over their thoughts, making conscious those thoughts and beliefs and thought patterns of what they choose to accept and embrace in their lives. And that God, as co-creator, simply, powerfully says yes. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful in the sure knowledge that God responds to our thoughts and our emotions. Grateful always in knowing that the full power of God is present in this room, in the affairs of each person here. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.